0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor-in-chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangestein, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at the latest signals from Beijing on China's struggling private sector. And spring isn't the only thing returning to China right now, as the country welcomes back foreigners after a three-year absence. We'll start by stepping back about a week when newly named Premier Li Qiang gave a strong thumbs up of support for China's private sector in his first official remarks in his new role. His comments on the topic weren't long, but they were certainly definitive. Li said China will provide, quote, unequivocal and steadfast support, unquote for the private sector going forward. So the backstory here is that China's private sector has taken an exceptionally heavy beating from all of China's COVID controls last year, since it tends to focus on retail and services that were frequently forced to shut and curtail their business. At the same time, some have said that President Xi Jinping favors China's state-run sector over these smaller private companies. So Renee, what's the top line takeaway from you know Lee's remarks obviously he didn't say too much but it certainly seems to be a strong signal
1: well i would use one of my usual answers which is who knows um <laughs> this um this is the uh, regular stuff coming from um the chinese government things always gone in multiple steps um, typically, at the beginning, there is a very strong statement of support. Um, these are words, however, and even if they come from the new prime minister, they're still simply words at this particular moment. So um, we'll all have to wait and see how it will translate. Here's the thing about the private sector. We uh, obviously, there are two parts to the private sector in China. One. Obviously, is uh, all the big companies uh, and one thing of Alibaba and Tencent and all of that. The other one is actually an extreme source of employment when the economy is coming, and that is the small mom and pop shops, mom and pop businesses and so on in the retail, in many parts of the retail sector, in services and all of that. The problem for those businesses historically has been that it's extremely difficult for them to get funding. And uh, they typically, the banks, which are primarily state-owned enterprises or provincially-owned enterprises, will not lend uh, to those small businesses. That has been the case for a long, long time. And they have to find funding somewhere else. Historically, they went the route of you know underground products and so on some of them if not most of them have been shut today they basically have to go through you know non-bank financial institutions some of them are the remnants of the p2p companies and uh, i met uh, with some actually when i was in china two three weeks ago and you know, it's not cheap. I mean, the minimum cost is 24%. And then in many cases, there are additional fees to that. So it's extremely onerous for those small businesses to um, to get the funding that they need to grow absent any meaningful help from the government. I do not remember any examples in the past, and in, going back to the aftermath of the financial crisis, where there were ever very specific measures that were rolled out to support those small companies. It could be different this time, um, everything could be different. Nobody knows exactly, you know, what is going to happen and how the new government is thinking about propping the economy, which they obviously want to do as quickly as possible. So I think we're just gonna have to wait. But availability of funding but all of those businesses is, is really, you know, the crux of the matter.
0: Hmm. It's interesting. You, you divide it into the big Alibabas and the the mom and pop shops. And, and I guess we're saying or you're saying that... Uh, Maybe these remarks are more directed at the mom and pop shops, but we've seen a few things actually in in Shanghai, they've given sort of tax holidays. I know they didn't require companies to make social security mm. payments or they were allowed mm. to delay stuff like that. Um, right They may have given some some cuts in terms of value added tax and and things like that, but you're right they they haven't outright provided any funding, and the P2P companies were doing that for a while, but again, they're not doing that much now. I mean, do you think we'll see any any providing of actual money, or uh, what kinds of things do you see, or you don't know? I
1: doubt that that would come from the central government level. It's quite possible that the, the local, provincial and local level, here and there, some help will be more forthcoming and and more targeted and more effective. You alluded to the suspension of social security payments and so on. That's a measure that has been used before and uh, to some effect, but it's never a long-term solution. The long-term solution for those companies continues to be those businesses, continues to be availability of credit at a decent cost. And uh, I've never seen that happen, actually. Maybe this time will be different. We'll see. Yeah,
0: no, that's true. I guess one of the big issues is they all often, uh, the banks always want to see collateral in the form of a physical real estate or, you know, physical assets, uh, as opposed to uh, taking receivables and and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. Do you think they might get more creative in that sense? No. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I doubt. Uh, I doubt, frankly speaking, you know, let's just remember that all that pretty much all the banks, or the vast majority of them at least, are uh, state-owned banks, government-owned, uh, central level, provincial level, whatever. Hmm. Those are basically bureaucrats. They have nothing to gain and everything to lose if they lend money to a business that goes bankrupt. So the default historically has always been, oh, you know, we lend to SOEs because we know we will always get the money back. Hmm. Uh, Typically, we'll lend to big companies that have assets that they can put up as collateral, and God forbid something goes wrong, at least we'll have some protection. But then when it and and you alluded to it yourself, those small businesses typically hardly have any assets that they can pledge, and even if they could you know, pledge. What can they pledge? Maybe the car or something.
0: (laughs) Well, I was saying the receivables has has sort of been, uh, seems to be something that some people at least are interested in.
1: Yeah, but receivables are tricky, you know, as a banker to be willing to accept receivables, you really have to do a lot of work and understand who the clients of your clients are, Mm -hmm. their credit history, their ability, the the performance of their business that guarantees the ability to pay and, and all of that. It makes sense to do when you're dealing with a big corporation and, you know, you have a lot of information available. You can double check their clients and all of that. When you deal with mom and pop businesses, it's a really strenuous effort. Hmm. And I don't think that any of those bureaucrats that work in the banks are going to be interested in, in taking the time and all the efforts that it takes for, in the end, very little reward,
0: right? Right. Except they'll get to meet their KPIs, if they make that. Okay. It doesn't sound like you're too bullish on the the prospects for government assistance, but I guess uh, we'll have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm open-minded, and uh, I recognize that even though nothing has changed at the very top, at least there is a new government, and you got to give them the benefit of the doubt and see what they're going to come up with. But we need to see much more than, you know, strongly worded, statement of support. Resolute support.
0: Okay, let's hop onto the next topic here, which is, uh, we're looking at a spring in China, and in this case, it's also being accompanied by a return of foreigners. Granted, there've been foreigners in China throughout the pandemic, mostly long-term residents like myself, but shorter-term visas, such as tourist visas and for business travelers, have been all but absent from China during this period due to the country's strict virus controls. Now, all of that ended on March 15th, when China officially began issuing visas again for tourists, business travelers, students, and other people wishing to visit the country. So, Renee, you were one of the many people who used to travel to China all the time to work, and you had to stop coming during the pandemic. Are you confident that you and other people like yourself will be able to travel freely to China now that they've dropped all the restrictions?
1: I think so in terms of being allowed to and obtaining the visas and therefore being able to get into the country. Um, I think that is definitely going to happen whether you go in there for business or you go in there for tourism or as a student actually. I think that uh, a lot of this has obviously to do with two things primarily. One is the need to, um, you know, prop up the economy by any means that is available and is acceptable to higher levels of the Communist Party. And uh, the other one is obviously foreign relations affairs and and kind of reconnecting with the world at large. Which obviously is a bit of a challenge for China after three years of being in splendid isolation. COVID bubble. um, Let's also not forget that on the student visa front, and you know, a lot of students from Africa used to um, study in China and they were unceremoniously basically told to leave at the time of COVID and uh, couldn't return. Now, there obviously is a um, diplomatic relationship angle, I think, on this, Uh, and I'm sure China is happy to welcome all those students back and um, and take that uh, issue off the table in its relationship with a number of foreign countries, especially in Africa. Hmm. So, yeah, I think uh, we're going to see more and more. One of the big issues that remains, obviously, is the state of the economy overall how many foreign businesses are going to continue to send people to China at the same rate as they were doing before, or whether they get, um, it's being more difficult for them to convince enough people, and uh, what potential impact the uh, changes in the supply chain may have on that part of uh, travel. That's that. The other issue, at least for now, and I think will continue to be for quite a while is the availability of flights between China and the rest of the world. Flights are still at a very low level compared to where they were pre-COVID. Tickets are expensive as a result of that. That keeps away a lot of people who um, who used to travel to China when you could go to China from the U.S. for a thousand U.S. dollars return in coach. I mean, these days you have to pay three, three and a half, four thousand dollars to do the same thing. So there's a a suppressing effect there. And uh, it looks like it's going to take a while, especially between China and the U.S., before we get back to a um, pre-COVID level of flights between the two countries.
0: Okay, actually, that was going to be my next question is how long do you think it'll take but, um since you've sort of already said it's it's going to be a while i'm I'm curious, do you see any any long term changes to to travel patterns between China and the rest of the world uh, as a result of what happened during the pandemic
1: um, well, you know, I think that people who are motivated to travel will inevitably start traveling again. I mean, uh, everybody now is pretty convinced that the virus is in the past. Uh, China has reopened in a rather spectacular fashion, but it's fully open. I think that unless there's another problem with the virus in the months ahead, I think that people will become more comfortable traveling again whether it's people leaving China to go to Europe, the U.S., Australia, whatever, or whether it's foreigners coming into China. To that point, though, there were quite a number of people in the West who were a little bit um, ruffled last week or the week before when the city of Xi'an announced that they might actually use lockdowns again. Oh, um, really? If... Yeah, if uh, the flu epidemic became too large, that is not the right message to send to the world. I'm sure Xi'an was not thinking about sending a message to the world, but more, you know, a local message or something like that. But then you read that and and you go like, hmm, okay, could it happen again? Yeah, Could I get locked down somewhere again? And uh, they seem to have backtracked. On that, though, at least they've not made any additional statements, but about uh, the, the very simple fact that they thought it was OK to do that again is going to, I think, unnerve a number of people who at least are aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the dust will settle on that one before too long and before there are too many ripples. But I thought that definitely in terms of messaging, this was absolutely the wrong message to the world.
0: If you were doing PR for the city of Xi'an, you probably wouldn't have uh, advised them to do that. Right. That would send uh, chills down my spine as well, having been through the uh, Shanghai lockdown. But it sounds like they've uh, they've backed down. And I have to say, that's that's probably one of my big concerns is now that China has learned that lockdowns are a tool that they can use, like you were saying, maybe they'll decide they're... A practical thing that they can do in future instances, uh, maybe not as severe as COVID. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap up there. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. In our next program, we're going to look at price wars heating up in China's auto sector. And we'll also look at the China-Hong Kong Stock Connect program, which is expanding in its effort to lure more Chinese and foreign stocks to list in Hong Kong. Hope to see you all then. Goodbye for now.
1: Goodbye, all. Thank you for joining